0: From the opinion pages of The Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. The
1: fallout continues from the release last week of special counsel Robert Hur's report on his investigation of President Biden's mishandling of classified documents. How bad is the political damage? Plus, Donald Trump riles U.S. allies in Europe as he implies he might not come to the aid of a NATO treaty ally if it is attacked by Russia but hasn't spent enough on defense. What does this tell us about Donald Trump's foreign policy if he returns to the White House? Welcome, I'm Paul Gigaud with the Wall Street Journal editorial page, and I'm here with my colleagues Kim Strassel and Kate Batchelder-Odell, welcome to you both. Well, the political news never stops these days. And over the weekend, there was more regarding Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Let's start with the fallout from special counsel Robert Hur's report, which explains his decision not to prosecute the president for willfully, and he used that word willfully, retaining and sharing classified documents. And the reason he gave in part for not indicting was The fact that a jury would not convict a, quote, sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory, unquote. Democrats denounced her for those words. And let's listen to White House General Counsel Bob Bauer this weekend on Meet the Press.
2: This is a report that went off the rails. a shabby work product. Let's, Let's take a step back. It starts with a legal conclusion that was foregone from the very beginning. The investigation could have been concluded in two or three months. It went on for over 15 months and so along with the legal conclusion comes this flood of characterizations factual misstatements, pejorative comments about the president that are inconsistent with DOJ policy and norms and that as you see over the last 48 hours have been widely criticized by legal experts. This is not what prosecutors do. It is shoddy work product.
1: Those critics, Kim, include mostly Democratic commentators. (laughs) Uh, But I would say, first of all, the legal conclusion was not foregone. Now, he wouldn't have indicted a sitting president, but her could have said, if he weren't a sitting president... I would recommend that he be indicted for this. Instead, he said, no, he would not, even under those circumstances. But does Bauer write that her violated Justice Department rules and procedures?
2: I would argue, no, I would say Bauer is wrong. And here's why, because... There's been a lot of Democrats who have been comparing this to Jim Comey and saying that this is similar to Jim Comey standing up and giving that infamous press conference where he said that the FBI was not going to recommend going ahead with this, but that Clinton had, with her own mishandling of classified information, been extremely careless. One problem with that is that Comey isn't a prosecutor. Comey was an investigator, and as we pointed at the time, it wasn't his job to make a decision about whether or not charges were warranted or not, he decided to take that into his own hands. Special counsels, by contrast, are given a very specific brief to decide whether to bring charges and then to write a confidential report to the Attorney General, giving their reasons either for pursuing or declining. And in this case, what her did is he not only said he wasn't going to bring charges, he laid out the evidence for why they might, but then he explained his reasons for not. And he explained that one of the biggest reasons was that he was concerned that he was dealing with a target who had a very poor memory and that the jury might take that into account and also feel that Mr. Biden was a well-meaning, sympathetic elderly man, therefore a sympathetic defendant. And he wasn't sure he could win the case. And so he said he wasn't going to do it. That's exactly what prosecutors are supposed to do. We would hope that those reports aren't always made public, but it was likely this was always going to leak. And in this case, Merrick Garland decided to simply release it.
1: Yeah, it's important to understand, I think, that a normal prosecutor investigating, let's say a U.S. attorney, and let's say that he's investigating a subject for a crime and decides not to prosecute. Well, in the normal course of work, that prosecutor would not disclose the reasons to the public.
2: At least not publicly,
1: right? You would certainly, you might tell the, the head of the criminal division or you would tell Correct. the deputy AG or the AG, but you would not say, well, we investigate this guy to a fairly well and I'm not indicting and here's the reason. Okay, that's regular procedure. A special counsel is very different. He is tasked under the regulation for a special counsel to come up with a report to submit to the attorney general. Here's what we found, and here's why we did or didn't decide to indict." And of course, if there's a decision to indict, then it all shows up, the evidence in a public charge. But the AG then can keep it confidential. He's not obliged to release it. But the way these things have gone in recent years, no matter which party's running the Justice Department, is that an attorney general decides, I really should disclose this because otherwise it's going to be leaked anyway (laughs) and then we'll get accused of covering up. So you might as well make this public. But I want to make one other point to Kate, and that is that her actually was obliged to explain and use this language in the report. He had no choice but to explain it because he says in the report that Biden willfully retained and then shared that classified information. That is, in fact, criminal behavior under the classified statutes. So then you're left with the question of, well, why didn't you indict? And he didn't indict because he thought couldn't get a conviction with a jury. And here's why he didn't think he could get a conviction. And a prosecutor is obliged not to bring an indictment if he doesn't think that he can reasonably get a conviction.
3: Right. I mean, and if you take a step back, think about what a polarized moment we're currently living through. And you have Donald Trump, who is under indictment for his handling of classified materials. And there has been half the country wondering, well, Joe Biden had these documents near his Corvette in his house. Uh, Why isn't he facing the same scrutiny? So in the event that this special counsel report was going to become public, to your point, I think it is a tonic to the country to explain exactly why he won't face charges for that activity. So I think it's not only was he obligated to do it, but I think he said something that every voter paying attention is aware of, which is that Joe Biden is an elderly man with a questionable memory. And so why wouldn't that be part of what the public explanation of why Biden is not going to face the same scrutiny?
1: We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the political fallout, which is continuing from the release of Mr. Herr's report when we come back. High inflation has impacted many of us.
0: But what happens when prices go up 55 60 Sixty-seven, or even two hundred and seventy-six percent. It makes living more costly. It eats into your paycheck.
3: At the end of the day, the salary itself, it's not enough. And money
0: quickly loses value. You can't save. You can't do anything. Check out our complete series on extreme world inflation from A to Z, from What's News, plus other exclusive content on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers.
1: Welcome back. I'm Paul Gigo with The Wall Street Journal with Kim Strassel and Kate O'Dell. Kim, let's talk a little bit more about the fallout that has happened politically and whether or not this, her report and its comments about the president's mental faculties is a tipping point, a potential tipping point for the Democrats as they consider whether to, I guess, paddle over the falls with Joe Biden as the nominee, if that's in fact what uh, happens here. (laughs) Obviously, the president is more or less unchallenged in the primaries right now. Dean Phillips, the congressman, is challenging him, but hasn't gotten any traction. So by March 5th and Super Tuesday, President Biden will probably have a majority of the Democratic delegates. So any decision for an alternative to the president for the Democratic nomination this year would have to start with the president stepping down and saying, look, i am decided not to run and then opening the process up for delegates to decide at the convention. There wouldn't be many primaries that could be contested because there's only a handful of states where the deadline for filing for the primary ballot still hasn't been reached. But you've seen stories in the press suggesting that it's no longer impossible that something like that could happen if uh, Joe Biden decided to step down. And I know there's a lot of Democrats who are really, really worried and understand that this is a big, big problem now. His age and mental acuity, declining mental acuity, is a huge political problem.
2: To be clear, the majority of Democrats are still rallying around, at least publicly. You heard Bob Bauer on TV, of course, that's his job. Co-chair Mitch Landrieu, the co-chair of the Biden campaign, was out on the Sunday shows. The media is closing ranks. I saw a long story today in The Washington Post explaining that it was so unfair that Joe Biden had to do that interview on that day because he was in the midst of dealing with the Israel fallout crisis. That was the excuse for why he might not have been at the top of his game. Eric Holder defending him, Kamala Harris. But you are beginning to see those cracks. And I was really struck by Paul Begala, the former Clinton advisor. He had a hilarious quote. He said, look, I'm a Biden supporter and I slept like a baby last night. I woke up every two hours and wet the bed. This is terrible for Democrats. (laughs) And he said anyone with a functioning brain knows that. And I think that's what everyone is understanding inside. And so that is why you are now seeing headlines like the one that's now out on Politico saying, Democrats might need a plan B. Here's what it looks like. And laying out those steps that you mentioned. As you note, by the end of this month, the filing deadlines will be passed in all but six states. And so you'd have to get all the way to June. And Biden would have to willingly step aside. And that would set off an extraordinary horse race. But also remember, there are a lot of Democrats who've been waiting in the wings for just such a potentiality. Gavin Newsom and J.B. Pritzker in Illinois. There'd be plenty of the people who could step up and do it what i think you're going to see now is a long sustained pressure campaign behind the scenes on biden to rethink this decision
1: that's fascinating so you think there will be quiet pressure kim is that what you're saying
2: yeah i think that there are some guys like paul begala never known for his restraint ever anyway who are going to be public and say it out loud but i think there's going to be more people going to joe and jill who obviously is a big decider in this whole question, and making the argument for why it would be much better for Joe Biden's broader legacy to bow out of his own decision.
1: Yeah, Kate, the argument, though, is that the likelihood is for inertia to set in and the Democrats to say, well. Hey, you know, it's just more complicated to get rid of the president to urge him to ease him out and go through the uncertainty of an open convention than just to ride it out and see what happens, particularly if the president is reluctant to step aside. And of course, Not to mention the first lady, Joe Biden, who came out and defended the president this week and said, how dare people question his memory? And, of course, I think she likes the life. You know, it's not a bad gig living in the (laughs) White House and traveling around Marine One. You know, I'll take that commute up to Delaware over the Amtrak. I don't say that with any malice. It's just simply, I think, the case. It's not a bad life. And once you're there, you don't want to give it up. But the thing I'm looking for, Kate, is whether or not any Democrats of note actually take the next step and go public here and say, look, there's just too big a risk for us to go in with this president. He needs to rethink it. He's running the risk of helping to reelect Donald Trump, and he is going to throw away his entire legacy if that would happen.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think Democrats, like you said, not really appreciating the risks that are coming to them if they continue down this path. I mean, one story we have today is Kamala Harris saying she's ready to step into the breach if called upon. And when Nikki Haley, the Republican running against Trump, came to visit us in December, she said President Kamala Harris was something that sent a chill down everyone's spine. And I thought it was a good line and captured how people think about potentially voting for President Kamala Harris, because they really understand that that's what they're voting for if they vote for Biden. So I think that is just a huge risk of continuing on on the current path that Democrats have to think about as they figure out where to go in this inflection point.
1: Probably not going to happen, but certainly it is something that is being talked about behind the scenes among all Democrats. All right, let's uh, turn to other news this weekend. And uh, that's what Donald Trump said about the NATO alliance and how he handled it in the first term. Let's listen. They all owed money and they wouldn't pay it. I came in, I made a speech and I said, you got to pay up. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up, and said, Well, the money came flowing in. Well, not quite. But there's no question that more money did come in. Some of the uh, the allies did start to spend more to try to meet their 2% of GDP on defense obligation. Mutual commitment made in 2014. But that comment by Trump earned the rebuke from uh, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg saying that it would potentially put at risk European and American soldiers if it encouraged Russia to do something. And Nikki Haley also criticized the comment as well. But most Republicans, Kate, fell in line on this one. And you've seen the senators and so on say, no big deal. This is just Trump uh, being Trump and talking about his success in getting NATO allies to contribute more. What do you think?
3: Well, Paul, just as a purely political matter, quickly, I mean, Joe Biden is having arguably the worst week of his entire presidency. And that's a competitive field when you consider (laughs) the (laughs) Afghanistan withdrawal, the invasion of Ukraine. It's a long list. But then here comes Trump waiting in to say that Russia should be able to do whatever the hell they want if the Europeans don't pay. I mean, it's just an enormous unforced political error. And if he loses in the fall, this kind of lack of discipline, I think, will, of course, explain a lot of it. But on the merits, I think you will always have some explainer saying, well, he was just telling a story and he's not serious about it. And NATO has changed i think it changed more after the invasion of ukraine than it did because of anything trump did
1: that is for sure
3: you do have now about 11 of 31 countries that are meeting their two percent commitment it's not excellent and some of these militaries are really down to a pathetic size and readiness and equipment but you do have them moving toward a better spot but just quickly i mean in all of our discussions about nato and how the europeans are freeloaders well We also set up NATO for the U.S. to be the lead power in it. And now we're tired of paying that price. And so it leads to all of this cynicism that Trump is stoking.
1: All right. After we come back, we'll talk more about Trump and NATO and and a second term and Trump and alliances in a second term. And also Trump indulges in some innuendo about Nikki Haley's husband when we come back.
0: WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content. Like, The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across
3: the chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it.
0: Check out the quirkier side of life
1: on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Don't forget you can reach the latest episode of Potomac Watch anytime. Just ask your smart speaker, "Play the Opinion Potomac Watch podcast." That is, "Play the Opinion Potomac Watch." podcast.
0: From the opinion pages of The Wall Street Journal, this is
1: Potomac Watch. Welcome back. I'm Paul Gigo with The Wall Street Journal and Kim Strassel and Kate O'Dell. Kim, I guess the big issue raised by Trump's comments about NATO is just what he would do in a second term. It's been widely reported that Trump considered withdrawing from NATO in the first term. There's no question he talked about withdrawing troops from Germany, for example, and you can't think about his comments on the weekend except in the context of his continuing lobbying very forcefully Republicans' congressmen to block aid to Ukraine. So that has also suggested that Trump's commitment to the defense of Western Europe would be substantially in doubt.
2: And the Europeans are very concerned about this. NATO Secretary General Jens Stolenberg put out a very firm statement saying that any suggestion obviously undermines our security and puts soldiers at risk. Germany, its foreign office, it was great on Twitter, just posted this phrase, one for all and all for one. And the Polish defense minister, who I thought made one of the, I think, most striking statements said no election campaign is an excuse for playing with the security of the alliance. And I think that sets up not just a lot of decisions for voters as they look at this. Everyone has been extremely frustrated by Joe Biden and his legacy of appeasement and essentially getting rid of or undermining American deterrence. And you have Trump, on the other hand, the most likely Republican nominee. And while he likes to suggest he would be a stronger leader, in fact, he is radiating a similar lack of commitment to these alliances. And this ought to be one of the top issues in the election. We'll see if it gains some traction. But what it means is that whoever wins here, I think that there's a lot of concern among European allies with Joe Biden and his management of the office. But there is very big concern about what it would mean for Donald Trump, just his mercurial position to all of this and the degree to which he is undermining the efforts right now to stand up against folks like
1: Putin. Based on my own reporting and across his first term and reading the memoirs of people who work for him, I think Donald Trump is likely to try to cut a deal with Putin on Ukraine in the early innings of his presidency. And one of the prices would be Putin gets to keep a lot of Ukrainian territory and no entry into NATO for Ukraine, and probably no U.S. security commitments for Ukraine. So I think that that would scare the hell out of the NATO allies and might come close to actually blowing up NATO as we have come to know it. All right, let's turn to another comment by the president, and that was regarding Nikki Haley's husband and then how Nikki Haley responded. She said, I will never run against him. Then she comes over to see me at Mar-a-Lago. Sir, I will never run against you. She brought her husband. Where's her husband? Oh, he's away. He's away. What happened to her husband? What happened to her husband?
2: Where is he? He's gone. He knew. To sit there and mock my husband for not being with me on the presidential trail because he is deployed and serving our country. You mock one veteran, you're mocking all veterans. But this is a pattern, Dana. He's done this over and over again. Whether he went and called military members suckers, whether he was at Arlington Cemetery saying, what was in it for them? Why would they do this? The problem with Trump is he's never been anywhere near a uniform.
1: Nikki Haley's husband is deployed with the South Carolina National Guard overseas. So he is indeed serving his country. What do you make of the comments? How politically important are they? And just as one thought here, it would be really really good to see Trump and Haley go at it on this point, if Trump would have the guts to uh, debate her.
3: It's just a sign of his insecurity and weakness. I don't think it needs to be taken seriously as a political attack. I mean, if anything, her deployed husband is an asset as she runs for political office and reminding voters that she's married to somebody who has put on the uniform for the country, I think is to her great credit. And so I think it's just a classic tale of Trump down in the gutters trying to uh, take out the opposition that way. But he's made so many remarks disparaging veterans in different fashions. And even as he talks at the same time about how he single-handedly rebuilt the military himself, so he tends to get a pass on these kinds of attacks on folks. So I thought Haley's answer was effective. He has never been anywhere near a uniform, and that's something she's got going for her that he doesn't.
1: Kim, what do you think? Any lasting political impact to this? My guess my view would be like Kate's okay, probably not. If you don't like Trump, you probably confirms what you think about Trump. And if you like Trump, you think, oh, who cares? It's just Trump being Trump.
2: You know, what really struck me here, I felt like it was eight years ago. And Trump does this on purpose, by the way. He does this because it goads his opponents into doing something that is ultimately not helpful to them, which is to respond to the attacks try to gin up some outrage to think they have this little glimmer in their mind that, aha, maybe this is the thing he said that is finally so over the top that it's going to cause people to abandon him in droves. I remember watching Marco Rubio fall for that, various other candidates back when he was in the primary last time. It just doesn't get traction. I think if Nikki Haley, she's got to respond to this, obviously, she should draw attention to it. But you see her campaign chasing after these things that they hope will prove a weakness for Donald Trump, his failings of character here or there and the comments he makes when they really ought to be thinking about what they can do to reboot the campaign, to offer a completely different path and route and rationalization for the campaign that they are offering, a choice rather than all the focus on him.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Marco Rubio. Now, Marco Rubio is solidly in Trump's camp this time. Trump could say just about anything. And Marco would say, yeah, that's terrific. That's great. Trump is really sticking it to the man. All right. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Kim. And thank you all for listening. We're every day here on uh, Potomac Watch. And thanks for joining us as we follow the presidential campaign and other goings on.